Philippians chapter 4, before we get into the passage, uh, I want to show something that uh, was brought to my attention a few weeks ago, and it's classic. I mean, I think all of us will be be able to identify with this, whether it's from your growing up years, or if you have children now, or if you're around children uh, at all. But think a little bit beyond what you see on the screen of how we as humans uh, can do some similar things. So, I, I couldn't quite figure out, you're going to see a little video clip, you, I couldn't quite figure out what the, what the little girl is asking for. I think it might be like a red crayon or something. Uh, but notice what happens in this exchange between two sisters. Please, please have, have the, the red. red. Say it slowly like that. Kylie, can... I have the red. You have to put a please in there. Please. Can I have a red? Yeah. Please. Can I have the red? No, you may not. All right, so her sister wanted to make sure that she got it exactly down right. You say everything exactly as I tell you, but at the end of the end, it's like, nope, you can't have it. And so, you know, as, as brothers and sisters, humanly, things like that happen all the time. Uh, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, unfortunately, things like that can happen as well. And we're going to see here in Philippians chapter 4 that God is not only concerned with doctrinal unity, he is very concerned with doctrinal unity, but he's not only concerned with doctrinal unity. God, he's, he's also concerned with relational unity. And so we begin to see in Philippians chapter uh, 1, even at the beginning of the book, and I'll read this, it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, Paul says, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. With one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So Paul makes it very clear, even in the beginning of Philippians and throughout the book, and then continues this theme in in Philippians 4, that yes, doctrinal unity is extremely important, but our relational unity is as well. So a couple questions that we'll uh, seek to answer this Sunday and the next Sunday as well is kind of be a two-part sermon. But first question is, what is the goal of spirit-filled unity? What is the goal? What are we hoping to accomplish uh, by this? Philippians 4.2, Paul says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Now, I, I think, imagine with me that um, a dear friend of One Hope Church writes a letter to our church and asks that that letter be read publicly And so I get up on a Sunday morning and I open the letter and I begin to read through the letter. And then all of a sudden about, you know, the last uh, couple minutes of the letter, I say, um, and I, I urge and I list, you know, and I read off a couple names in the congregation. I urge this person and that person to agree, to have spirit filled unity. Like, whew, man, that's, that's tough. So Yodi and Syntyche probably were a little surprised when they you know, heard their names read out loud. And so we've got to look into this. This was deemed very important by God to include it in inspired scripture that not only the Philippian church would hear and read, 
But all future believers would have the opportunity, as we open God's word, to read the same thing and know these two ladies' names, and we learn a little bit about them that we'll see this morning. They were workers for Christ. Uh, They believed in the gospel. Uh, But what's the goal of spirit-filled unity? First of all, it is not for just pragmatic functionality. Spirit-filled unity is not just for pragmatic functionality. I want you to think about it this way. How many of you have been maybe on a ball team or in a coworker group or perhaps even at the university or at school, you've had to do a, a project together, a group project, and you don't really care for the person that's on your team or your coworker or the, the other fellow athlete, but in order to get things done, you kind of look past those things that you don't really like or appreciate, and you just in a pragmatic way, just to get it done, you look over those things and you push through to to accomplish the goal. Have any of you been able or had that experience in the past? Be honest. I'm not going to ask you to give names. Don't do this to the person next to you. That happens. And it may work for a school group. It may work for a ball team. I certainly have played with athletes in the past that, you know, outside of the the game situation and practice, we weren't going to hang out together. But as we played as a team, we looked past those things to to move forward. It may work for a group of soldiers even that have a common purpose and they have a goal and maybe they have something to defend or something needs to be attacked. And so they work together even though there's not really depth in the relationship. And that may happen in those arenas, but that is not, we should not be satisfied with that as brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, That is not the goal. In fact, that's why in Philippians Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we see this. So there, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, now notice, all this starts with that phrase that we hear so often, in Christ. So Paul's urging them to agree in the Lord. In Philippians 2, he's talking again about, you know, in Christ, and then he goes on, complete my joy. How? By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This isn't a pragmatic functionality. This isn't a satisfaction of, okay, yeah, I love God and that person loves God, so I'm just going to tolerate him or her uh, to accomplish what we have to do as a family of God. That's not it. That is not the spirit-filled unity that we are taught and challenged and commanded to pursue. You know, this isn't this passage isn't specifically about marriage, but I think it can be applied even in marriage. That as we seek, you know, as a married couple seeks unity, again, God does not want just a, a pragmatic unity, a pragmatic functionality. Well, we have kids, so let's work together. I mean, you know, many hands make light work. So um, we're, we're here, this has happened, the kids are here, uh, we have a home to take care of, there's grass to cut, there's laundry to do, there's dishes to wash, so we might as well just face it and, and get it done. And unfortunately, there are many married couples who spend years and they share, the, they share the same address, they get food out of the same refrigerator, they walk around in the same kitchen, they may even share the same bedroom, but they are not living in spirit-filled unity. And God says, no, that's not enough. We want you, you, we as brothers and sisters in Christ and as a husband and wife who represents Christ in the church should agree in the Lord. 
pursuing the same mind, full accord, and have this uh, type of unity that reflects uh, the unity of Christ. It shouldn't be for selfish enjoyment, this type of unity. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So if, if Paul's challenge had only been, listen, Yodi and Sinsky, you need to agree. I mean, that's a good goal. But he says, no, you need to agree in the Lord. And as believers, we also need to understand it, it isn't just for our selfish enjoyment. If I lower the bar and I say, and I, and I be, begin to think, well, if as long as we agree, if as long as we have unity, then that's the final goal. I've missed the last part of agree, how? In the Lord. So you and I can even come to an agreement if we begin to maybe water down, water down and compromise the ideas of spiritual unity and agreeing in Christ. But eventually, my selfish motives in that unity type of unity, and your selfish motives in that type of unity are going are, are gonna to make a split apart at some point. Because just selfish reasons to unify and just selfish reasons to kind of use each other in a, in a way are only going to go so long. So spirit-filled unity is not just for selfish enjoyment. But what, is, what does it do? How does it enable us? We see next, spirit-filled unity enables us to fulfill God's purpose and design. It enables us to fulfill God's purpose and design. In John 17, uh, as we seek unity and as we express that and display that in our lives, it will bring God glory. Jesus said so in John 17. In verse 10 of John 17, it says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Well, how? Jump to the next verse, the last part of verse 11. Holy Father... Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So even in the Godhead, the triune Godhead, as we see God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit operate in such a way that honestly, our human minds will never fully understand. And if you tell me that at some point you fully understand the Trinity, I'm, I'm going to think in my head, you're a liar. <laughs> because it's, it's hard to grasp that. But one thing that we can take away is that there is a unity that, that God wants us as best as our ability and only with God's help to display that for his glory. As God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one, we as children of God, as part of the family of God, as we reflect his unities reflect his love, then we bring him glory. And we fulfill his design for us, for his glory, but also for our good. John 17, 13, same, same passage as Jesus is praying the high priestly prayer. And John 17, 13 says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I'm so thankful that we serve a God who desires true joy for us. Now notice, I didn't say that he, he, he desires just happiness. Because sometimes our measure of happiness can be on circumstances. It can be on how much God or others can do for me. But true joy, 
God desires, and I'm glad for that. I'm glad we don't serve a God who just wants us to, to serve him as robots and just kind of go through the motions and do this and do this and do that. He says, no, I pray that my joy will be fulfilled in themselves. And as he's designed us, as we live in unity, as we begin, uh, not only begin, but continue to practice the one another's of the New Testament, the 50 plus one another commands in the New Testament, God knows and declares, this is going to bring you joy. This will help you to experience the joy that I have designed for you in this type of relationship. But not only, also in John 17, 26, it says, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with, with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Philippians 4.1 now. So kind of all that is a, is a set up and a, and a foundation that we have in other parts of the New Testament, the words of Christ, the beginning of Philippians, but notice Philippians chapter 4.1, how Paul describes this type of unity. He uses words that I would say aren't often used between coworkers at your job. They're probably not used very often in the dorms, uh, Dylan and Owen, uh, Jordan and Sean. Uh, they're not probably often used in the cafeteria here at Northwest Classical Academy. Look with me in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I dare say that if you went to work, if you go to work tomorrow and you walk in and you say, Good morning, my beloved. Brothers, I have longed for you this past weekend. Most of your coworkers are looking and go, you are crazy. What, what did you drink? What did you do? I mean, what has happened to you? But this is the depth of relationship that, that God desires for his family. He doesn't want it just to be surface level relationships. And I fear that in, in, our, in our marketing of the Christian world today, and in much of what we do in Christianity, it's, it's a lot about focus on numbers and performance, and we sacrifice this type of relationship, of something that goes farther, something that goes a little bit beyond the, hey, good morning, God bless you, great, have a good week, I'll see you next Sunday, or maybe in a couple Sundays if it works out. God says, no, that's not what I desire for you. And Paul reveals this type of relationship that he has with the Philippian church and says, I long for you and you're my joy and my crown. You're beloved. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, Paul also says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. As Paul has given his life and as God gloriously saved him and transformed his, his mind and his, his purpose, then Paul sees those who come to know Christ and those who he can disciple and, and mentor and help grow in Christ, he sees them as, you're my joy. You're the crown. You're the reward for, uh, for the efforts that God's called me to to spread the gospel. And may we long for that type of relationship. And may we be willing to invest in others. And, and, and you know this, but it's messy. Relationships are messy. Remember the study that we went through, relationships, a mess worth making? 
Relationships aren't always easy and just great blessings. And you don't always want to, you know, your first thought out of your mind, it isn't just always, oh, beloved. Sometimes it's difficult. But it's for our good that we seek these type of relationships. In John 10.10, Christ says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The world has friendships. Yes, they do. The world uh, makes relationships, and sometimes it's, it's networking. It's, okay, how can my relationship with you or your relationship with me, how can I gain from this? How, where will this get me? What are some goals that you need to be a part of to get me to where I want to go? And spiritually, God says it goes so far beyond that, that you need, you and I need to pursue spiritual unity with others of this level, that we would have life abundantly. Satan wants relationships that may work for a while and may be selfish, but in the end, it, it will destroy both. It will destroy all parties involved. And he doesn't care one bit. But this type of unity is for our good. But we also see that it's not only to fulfill God's purpose and design, but this type of unity is to reflect God's power and grace to the lost. To reflect God's power and grace to the lost. Going back to John chapter 17 and starting in verse 20, it says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's talking about future believers. Um, are we part of that group? We are. We have believed after the disciples believed. So this prayer is certainly for us as well. And it says that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is so important that God says, and Christ Jesus prayed, I pray that the believers now and the believers that will hear and believe because of your word, because of your testimony, I pray that they will be one just as we are one so that the world around them will see that you sent me and believe in that. It says this, Then the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. Again, this goes so, so far beyond the pragmatic relationship. Perfectly one. So that the world, again, may know that you sent me, and love them, even as you loved me. Now, in recent years, and this has happened to some extent, you know, for much longer than just the last few years, but... How many of you have heard, maybe more often than you want, the term cancel culture? Raise your hands. Yeah, I've heard that. Cancel culture. All right, so let's see what uh, cancel culture is. Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it as this. The practice or tendency of engaging in mass canceling as a way of expressing disapproval and exerting social pressure. This is what the world, that's the context of the world. We don't like it, we don't agree with it, cancel it. We will show our disapproval and we're, we're not going to seek reconciliation, we're not going to seek uh, you know, in-depth relationships, no. We will cancel what we don't agree with. Now, unfortunately, this culture has also penetrated in a great way our Christian community. As soon as we see, nope, don't, don't like that, okay, boom, cancel 
And it's become so much easier as, as we have become uh, trained in a lot of ways by social media. On, on our phone, it's so easy just to scroll past and sometimes unfollow. And it's, we just, oh, don't like, nope, just scroll past. And so in real life, you know what happens too often among spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ? You see something you don't like, you're like, boop, I'm just going to scroll past. It's not worth my time. It's not worth my effort. I don't like this or that about that person, so it's not for me. And we practice, unfortunately, this idea in spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ of cancel culture. And God says, no, that is not what it means to agree in the Lord. So imagine as you and I, as we pursue a, a deep relationship, as we pursue this type of one accord and same mind and mind of Jesus Christ, as Paul calls us to adopt in Philippians chapter 2, and we strive to, to have that among brothers and sisters in Christ, the unbelieving world around us and our circles of influence, as they watch on, and as they experience, they've been canceled and they cancel. And as they know the, 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 the benefits and the disadvantages of just you know, scrolling past and, and unliking or what unfollowing, as they see a difference in us, it will scream loud and clear, this is only because of God. This reflects the love of Jesus Christ. And it will not go unnoticed. You know, God wants us to use relationships, and this was a premise that we studied in quite a bit in detail through that, that study of relationships, a mess worth making. God doesn't want us just to run from difficult relationships, but he wants us to lean into those. And with God's help, grow through those and, and help the other person, Lord willing, grow as well. And the relationships can bring some of the, the most joyful and meaningful moments of our life, but relationships can also be some of the most hurtful and difficult moments of our life. And God says, I want you to pursue spiritual unity, spirit-filled living, but as you seek unity with others, this type of unity in the Lord. What's involved in this? Second question, what's involved in the process of restoring unity? Okay, great. Paul says, Yodia and Syntyche, um, I urge you, I entreat you, and he says it to both of them, so he's not, you know, giving preference to one or the other. It doesn't appear to be a doctrinal difference because Paul most likely would have called it out and said, hey, you know, there's, there's a doctrinal error here. He just says, listen, ladies, agree in the Lord. So what's involved in that? First of all, intentional communication. Intentional communication. I entreat Yodia, Philippians 4.2 says, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. I, if you and I are going to pers pursue spiritual unity, it will involve and, and demand at times some intentional communication, some awkward conversations. And Paul tells the two ladies, you need to talk. You need to work through this. Now, part of our growing up, and we all have had different experiences, but I want your help here. What are some natural reactions that you have observed or that you know are common among men and women? Okay, men and women. What are some common reactions in relational problems that you have observed? I'm not going to say for you to say, yeah, this is how I've done in the past. No. How, what have you observed? What are some common reactions 
in human relational problems? Help me out. Caleb, were you raising your hand? Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. What, what is it? Uh, yelling back and forth. Yelling back and forth. All of a sudden, there's a hearing problem. And the louder I say something, you know, the better it's going to communicate my message. So yelling. What else? Then you've got the opposite. Okay, you're going to yell at me? Well, I'll show you, and I won't say a thing. And it's just like, boop. And this person shuts down. And sometimes I have talked with people who've come. Sometimes it's parents with children. Sometimes it's a husband and wife. And they'll come in and say, yeah, we haven't really talked for the last week. What? Yeah. You know, I had an argument. And so just shut down. Oh, wow. Well, how's that working out for you? Solving the problem? Is it, is it working? It doesn't work. What else? What are some other ways? Okay, it's not going to work here, so I'll just avoid it. I'm going to look elsewhere. So there's many different reactions that we've seen. Sometimes we practice and the Lord is, and through Paul, is urging these two ladies and also us as believers, be involved in intentional communication. Talk through this. Don't avoid it. Don't blow up. Don't, you know, try to manipulate the situation. Sometimes that's a reaction of, okay, um, I, I think I can make this work. Oh, you don't want to do something? Okay, well, I, I've got some little way that I can, I think I can get you to, to do it after all. And you withhold something or, or you promise even to give something. And, and in that way, you're trying to manipulate somebody's actions in that way. That's not spiritual unity. And unfortunately, even in the church, there's way too much politics. Even in the church, among leadership sometimes, among the congregation, in so many You know why that is? Because we're humans. So it doesn't matter what organization we're a part of, even a God-designed church, that is a temptation for us to use as, okay, we're going to begin to manipulate. And how can I exert my power? And how can I have more influence? How can I be you know, above this person or above that person? If I need to put that person down or kind of point out the faults in a, in a hey, pray for this person type of way, whatever it takes, I'm going to manipulate. God says, no, that's communicate. Talk through it. We see also, okay, what's, there's a couple things involved in this, in intentional communication. If you're not familiar, and I brought it, I meant to bring it up uh, in the pulpit, but I, I challenge you to read a book by Ken Sand called uh, Peacemaker. Peacemaker by Ken Sand. Some of these principles are, are listed in a little bit different way in that book, but there are many practical principles throughout that book by Ken Sand, and I strongly encourage you to read it. It'll be good for your marriage, your family, your, your work relationship, wherever you're at. There's a lot of biblical principles. But a couple things you need to ask yourself. What is the aim? What is the aim? Who do you want to win? If there is a relational problem, begin to evaluate yourself and begin to think, okay, what is my aim in this? Am I going to win? Is that my main goal, that, that I win this? Then I come out the other side as the victor. Well, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It doesn't say, David, try to win in every argument that you have and make sure you come out on top. It says, no, whatever you do, 
Whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. My aim should be, I want God to be glorified through this. And as we talk through things, as we have some awkward conversations, God, we pray that in the end, you will be glorified. And I, and I say this with great hope. You know why? Because without a doubt, you and I are going to face problems, folks. You and I are going to run into some relational problems. And some of you say, yeah, Pastor David, I already have with you. I know. Because we're human. So may God help us to remember in those moments, slow down a little bit, think, be willing to talk, be approachable, and then ask ourselves, what's the aim? Who do you want to win? Hopefully the answer will be, I want God to win. I want him to receive the glory through this. Secondly, accountability. What fault, if any, doesn't mean you always have a fault, but what fault, if any, do you have in this situation? Matthew 7, 5, Jesus says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And as we engage in intentional communication, we need to ask ourselves in great prayer and humility, God, what part, what fault do I have in this? Do I have any fault? And if I do, God, help me to see that clearly. Help me to ask forgiveness for that, first from you and then from the other person. And then that'll clear the way so that we can begin to remove some of the other obstacles that might be in our path but have some accountability. Thirdly, what's the attitude? Are you approaching this situation with humility and gentleness? Are you approaching this situation with humility and gentleness? Galatians 6.1, Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And more often than not, it's not even what we say, but it's how we say it. In the context, in our attitude. And this is often how I struggle as a parent. So often, what I'm saying to my children, I don't have any doubt. That's what needs to be said. But if I'm not careful, my flesh can kick in. And I will think of every possible way that I can make this more forceful, more manipulative to try to get the action that I desire. And in the end, God says, no, that's not, that's not how you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to reflect me. You're supposed to be firm, yes. There is discipline that God teaches in Scripture. I'm not talking about a walkover parent. But yet I shouldn't use my anger. I shouldn't use my size to intimidate to try to get the, the action done. I shouldn't try to use resources in giving or withholding to try to get my children to do something or my wife or church member. And I say, God, what's my attitude? Am I approaching this with a spirit of gentleness? Am I approaching this with humility and saying, God, help me. I, I, I want to confront and I, and I want to uh, be involved in this intentional communication, but Lord, help me to be humble because I know that very easily I can sin as well. 
Then lastly, action. Are you actively seeking reconciliation? Matthew 5, 24 says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Well, that shows a pretty big importance on spiritual unity. You've got a big gift. You've got something you want to offer to the Lord. Okay, leave it. Leave it. Go and seek unity and reconciliation and then come back. What's your action? So intentional communication, but then secondly, what's involved in the process of restoring unity? Loving intervention. Loving intervention. Philippians 4.3 says, yes, I ask you also, true companion. Now, the identity of this true companion is, is a little bit unclear. Uh, we're not really sure who the true companion is. Was it Epaphroditus? The Greek word from companion could have even been used as a, a name. So it could have been, you know, just he could have been using a person's name, but also translates as companion. But whoever it is, Paul is asking for someone else to intervene and to get involved in the situation. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So I'll look at a few, few things here as what's involved in loving intervention, intervention. We'll look at one point mainly and then the next week pick up and, and carry on with that. But first of all, this is part of being a follower of Christ. This is part of being a follower of Christ. Because Christ intervened. And we're going to see a, a verse here in a minute that shows very clearly he lovingly intervened in my life and in your life to reconcile me to God. I needed to be reconciled. I needed to have unity with God because of my sin had broken that unity that he created, first of all, with Adam and Eve. Because of that, this is part of being a follower of Christ. You may say, and I, I understand there's personality differences, and for some it's easier than for others but I want to encourage you, this is not only for the extroverts. This is not only for the type A personalities. This is for all believers in Jesus Christ, that we would be willing and ready to practice loving intervention. There's some things that have, have hindered in great ways, at least in our American culture, this practice. And one of those things, you may go, wow, Pastor Dave, how in the world did you get that from this? Okay, I enjoy air conditioning. Did anybody enjoy air conditioning? I love it. We lived for many, many years without it in Brazil. And we did fine, and, and God was great and still good, right? But if I have air conditioning available, we use it, and I enjoy it. But the invention of air conditioning has... Among many things in our American culture, greatly affected our involvement with each other. How is that? You familiar with Andy Griffith? Yeah. Some of you be like, no, I've never, never seen him. Well, Andy Griffith, okay, was the sheriff, fictional town of Mayberry. Uh, it was run in the 1960s, but it was, it, the film, the, the era that was depicted was back in the 1930s, before central heat and air was, was common, Okay. I think Central Heat and Air became common in the 50s and 60s. 
But in the 1930s, it wasn't common. So what did Andy Griffith, how did they portray that? Well, you saw um, you know, Andy Griffith on leisurely romantic walks with his girlfriend, Helen, right? And Barney Fife with Thelma Lou. And oftentimes, Andy would sit out on his front porch and strum the guitar and be singing on the front porch. And people would be sitting outside the barbershop, you know, playing checkers and cards, and they were outside. Why? Because oftentimes, it was cooler outside than in the house because there was no air conditioning. But with the invention of air conditioning and and all of the, the luxuries of our modern day homes, oftentimes our modern day home has become kind of our own little kingdom. And we come into our kingdom, sometimes it's, you know, by a remote, you know, we come into the kingdom and we close the walls of the kingdom and we go into our nicely heated or air conditioned house and we have all the, the luxuries that we can choose from 150 million different things we want to watch on TV. We can order anything that we want in to eat or to enjoy. It's delivered at our doorstep, groceries, you know, dental floss, whatever you want. Just deliver it to your doorstep. You don't have to see the person. They deliver on your step. If you want to leave a message for your deliverer, you can say, you know, thank you or whatever and record a message. But all of this, they're not sinful things, folks. But it has caused our culture and, and all of us to be Uh, much more private than even in the past. It's my business. What what do you, you're saying hey to me? Like you want to come into my house? In our little neighborhood, we have 12 homes. And thankfully, we have a very good relationship with most of our neighbors. And all the neighbors seem kind. All of them seem kind. I'm very thankful for that. Just yesterday, I was able to borrow some tools from one of the guys down the street. I said, hey, you got some crowbars? I'm doing a little project. Yeah, sure, come on down and get them. And we enjoy that relationship. But there's a handful, I can count them on one hand, but there's a handful of our neighbors that I've only seen a couple of times. I know they exist because I've seen them, but I've only seen them out of their house a couple of times in in a few years. And unfortunately, this has, has caused us, even as believers, to begin to think, it's my life. What are you... What do you care about what I'm going on? What, what's going on in my life? Don't, it's, it's none of your business. Well, I've had the privilege, as I said, of living for 18 years in a culture where air conditioning wasn't very common. It was only the last couple of years that we had it in a couple of rooms in our house, my office and the guest room. But for the majority of the time that we lived in Brazil, we had our windows open. And even when we had air conditioning, the majority of the house, the windows were open all day long and throughout the night. You know what that means? I heard the neighbor's music. I knew what kind of music they like. I typically had an idea of what kind of meal they were going to have that night because I smelled what they were cooking. We heard arguments. We heard laughter. We knew when there were birthday parties. When we lived downtown Sao Paulo and had our windows open, we knew even if we weren't watching the soccer game, when the soccer team scored because you heard it, you know, reverberate through all the buildings, everybody yelling. And at first, I was taken back. I was like, this is weird. Because I'd grown up in homes where the windows were shut most of the time, the air's on, and it's airtight, and you hardly hear anything outside of your home. But not so in Brazil. Not so in many of the places that you have lived in your past. So how has that affected us as believers? As believers, many times, we may even know, yes, so-and-so is struggling in this area, in that area, but hey, it's not, not my business. It's not my business. 
I'm going to worry about my kingdom. They worry about their kingdom. And we don't really go beyond that. Now, there are so many more things besides just air conditioning, but that's just one element of modern society that has led us to be much more private, much more uh, secluded. And you may say, oh, but social media, man, people post their whole life. Yes, but they choose what they post. They only post what, they may say what they're going to eat, they may say when they're getting a shower, but they have control over everything they post and everything they don't want to post, they withhold. But as spiritual believers and brothers and sisters in Christ, God says, nope, I want you to follow my example. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us what message? The message of reconciliation. So as God used Christ to reconcile us to himself, offer salvation, offer redemption, offer forgiveness of sins, so that our, our, we wouldn't have to have a, a severed relationship because of our sin. Through Christ, we were reconciled. We've been unified with God. And then it says, and now I've given to you that message of reconciliation. Now in this context, it's specifically talking about the lost. Now with Yodi and Syntyche, it wasn't. But we need to understand that this principle comes from the foundation that Christ was the first reconciler. He gave us the message of reconciliation. Look again with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we see this explained even in greater detail. Ephesians 2, 12 through 21. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. He's talking to a group of Gentiles. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. Man, that's a pretty sad description. Man, there is no hope for you. You're separated from Israel. You're without God. Then it goes on. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. I want you to repeat that phrase with me because this is key and it's a fundamental truth, okay? One, two, three. He himself is our peace. Let's say it again. He himself is our peace, spiritually for conversion, but also for continued spiritual unity after that. Christ is the reason for peace. He is, because we're followers of him, this loving intervention is part of what we should do as believers. But now in Christ Jesus, far off, you're brought near. He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body, how? Through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, it says, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but notice the difference here. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
This is an illustration that we can all identify very easily that we're members of the household of the family of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And then notice what the, what the result is. In whom the whole structure being joined together does what? Grows into a holy temple in the Lord. I want to show you the last picture here. So, um, any Brazilians recognize what this is of? This is the friendship bridge. So this is the friendship bridge between Brazil and Paraguay at Iguazu Falls. So halfway between the bridge, there's, a, there's painted on the bridge, you know, Paraguay and Brazil. It's called the friendship bridge. It goes over the Paraná River. This was built back in the 1960s. It has been the main access between the two countries, and there's free trade between the two countries. Audrey and I have had the opportunity to go into Paraguay at one point. Uh, Jessica and Christina went on another occasion, so they've crossed this bridge. But it's called the Friendship Bridge, connecting the two countries together. Jesus Christ, throughout Scripture, has been very clear. He is our peace. He is the only bridge between God, holy God, and us as sinful humans. He has crossed that. He's given us an opportunity to cross that, and and he serves as the bridge of reconciliation. To pursue spiritual unity, to agree in the Lord, one of the word pictures that we can see and think about is we are to try to cross that bridge and provide a way to bring two people or groups together in unity once again for God's glory. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we finish this morning?